Greetings and welcome to the East Village Times podcast. I'm your host, James Clark, and uh, with me as usual, we have Patrick Brewer. How are you doing today, Patrick? Uh, trying to re- still trying to recover from that uh, opening series. <laughs> yeah, that that opening series was was rough. Uh, Twitter's uh, Twitter's exploding right now with uh, negative Padre fans, but you know what else do you expect? It's it's it was a rough series. Um, you know, it is what it is. It's a long long season. Um, we'll just have to stay positive. Um, we are excited today uh, to have with us um, Tim Haggerty, the uh, broadcaster from the El, Pal- El Paso Chihuahuas here today. How are you doing, Tim? Great. Thanks for having me. Not a problem at all. Thanks for coming on. And I, I know it's a uh, second game of the seasons tonight. You, you must be pretty excited to, to get um, broadcasting some Chihuahua baseball. I am. I love April. Uh, nobody's tired yet. Every team has a chance. April is a joy. It's my favorite month of the year. <laughs> yeah, it, it definitely definitely is. It's like Christmas Eve for everyone at, at the at this point. All right, Tim. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself uh, for the fans that uh, don't exactly know uh, you and your your baseball background? Uh, just uh, enlighten us a little bit. Well, uh, this is my thirteenth season in minor league baseball. Let's see, is that right? Uh, first year was 04, so that means 14 is the 11th. Uh, yes, 13th year. <laughs> and a bulk of that was spent with Padres affiliates. Back when I was in AA Mobile, they were the Padres AA team. That was before it uh, transferred to San Antonio. Nice. And then in 2008, went to Portland, which, as you guys might remember, is where the Padres AAA team used to be, the Portland Beavers. Uh-huh. And then sort of got swept up in a unique situation where Major League Soccer came to Portland. It led to the Padres AAA team needing a new stadium, and that did not evolve in Portland. Uh, so then, as you might recall, the a member of the Padres ownership group, North County Baseball, purchased the club with plans mm-hmm. to build a stadium in Escondido. And uh, we were going to head down to Tucson and have a one-year temporary site in Tucson that ended up being three seasons uh, with Escondido ballpark did not occur. That led to an opening for the El Paso ownership group to buy the team. So I was lucky to survive a couple of different ownership changes and multiple city relocations. And uh, El Paso has been the best of all. The ballpark is spectacular. The fans are incredible. It's a great situation to broadcast AAA games in. Yeah, I, I checked out the the uh, El Paso ballpark and the, the game the Padres played against uh, against you guys, and it was it's very impressive ballpark. It seems like it's in a a nice area where everyone can uh, you know gather together and, and enjoy the, the the game as well as going out af- afterwards and, and having a nice dinner and stuff. It is the ballpark is right downtown. There are streets right behind the left field wall and the right field wall. It is planted right in the middle of a city block. And thanks for your compliment. That really has been the consensus for people that travel through and see it. Uh, I remember a longtime scout told me last year, this is a guy who's in his 70s, has been in professional baseball more than 50 years, and he said, I think your stadium is the loudest minor league ballpark I've ever heard. And he's wow. not talking about the music. He's talking about the fans. They're so enthusiastic. Uh, they play their names. Cody Decker and Rocky Gale used to tell me that, how this is the only minor league ballpark they've been to where the fans regularly chant their names. Uh, Tommy yeah, Medica is a grand slam during the first homestand of our ballpark, and the fans kept yelling for him, and he had a curtain call. We have curtain calls sometimes in the minor leagues. So uh, we're so lucky to not only have the beautiful facility, but really what even surpasses that is the fan excitement. 
Definitely. Yeah, you know, it's it's an impressive uh, ballpark, and it's nice to have a triple-A a uh, affiliate that's, um, you know, one of the top uh, top places in, in, in the country for sure. It is, yeah, and I think that the Padres really appreciate that because not only do you have that fan enthusiasm, but also what comes with a modern ballpark is the baseball facilities, the batting cages, the quality of the clubhouse, the training room. Those are the subtleties that a major league club looks for when they look at the strength of a minor league affiliate, and I know the Padres are thrilled about those aspects as well. Yeah, definitely. So, so you spent some time in Alabama, Arizona, Oregon, Texas. You know, what what uh, you, is 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 El Paso the place that you feel the most at home? Uh, I mean, I know that's where you're currently residing, but is that uh, where you felt the most home as, as far as all those those uh, states? It is, um, and I mean that is no disrespect to the other cities. Uh-huh. I was very lucky. I loved. Every place I've worked, all are very unique, and, and that's been the thing I've enjoyed most about broadcasting baseball is the different cities I've had a chance to go to, both living in and visiting on road series. But I think what makes El Paso the most home for me is how welcoming the fans are. The Chihuahuas are such a big deal there that being the broadcaster for the team is uh, a job I feel very fortunate to have. I'll be sitting there in a restaurant in February, and somebody will walk up to the table and start asking about that year's pitching staff. <laughs> so uh, next to the major leagues, I think that El Paso is the place that follows its team the closest. Uh, I, of course, have not done an in-depth study on that. I know there's some other great AAA environments. Lehigh Valley coming to mind. That's a ballpark that sells out regularly in Pennsylvania. So I am a little bit biased, but... Uh, it's, it's so unique for a minor league setting to follow the team so passionately. In most minor league cities, people go out for a night with the family, enjoy some food, enjoy a fireworks show maybe. But in El Paso, they know the players' names. They know where the team is in the standings. It's great. Nice. It's, it's always nice to have uh, fans that are educated for sure. Hey, uh, Tim, I wanted to ask you about your thoughts on uh, new manager Rod Barajas. Uh, what do you think he's going to bring to the table? Um, your impression of him so far, like what interaction you've had with him? Well, we had a chance to interview A.J. Preller at spring training, and A.J. brought up a point that is worth repeating, that some of the best managers are former catchers. They're the mm-hmm. ones facing the field from that angle. They see every single pitch. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rod, of course, had a long major league career as a catcher, 14 years in the big leagues. And so far, as we've gotten to know him personality-wise, he's relaxed, he's comfortable, a very likable guy. Anytime there's been a new request or uh, some sort of fan question, he's accommodating. Our city, like San Diego, is right on the border. Rod is bilingual, which helps. Mm -hmm. He's uh, done speaking engagements and interviews in Spanish. Um, And it's interesting, he's only 40 years old. And I know Andy Green actually is even younger than Rod, which, of course, uh, Andy's one of the youngest major league managers. But for a AAA manager, it's really the same scale. Rod is very young for a AAA manager. So if he chooses to pursue this and make this uh, the rest of his career, if he chooses to be one of those guys who spends life in uniform, I think he's really well positioned to be part of a major league coaching staff and maybe even a major league manager for a long time. So you think uh, that's in the cards for him going forward, one day being a major league manager? I know he has stated that that is something that he certainly is interested in. I I remember him doing an interview in El Paso where he said that's his long-term goal. But Rod also 
uh, like any good player, takes it one day at a time. I know podcasts like yours hear phrases like that every single time you interview a player or a coach is one day at a time. But I think there's a reason that phrase comes up so often. It is so true in baseball. I think everybody, whether it's the players, the coaches, medical staff, even the broadcasters, you just have to focus on that day's game. I think that a lot of times when you start thinking about where you're going to be in 2020, it really harms what you're doing on April 8th, 2016. All right, Tim. Uh, you know, re- going through your bio and stuff, uh, you know, I realized that uh, you, you've done a lot of writing in your in your time. Uh, talk to us about that. Is that something you enjoy doing? I know it's a different outlet than uh, you know going out there and speaking um, to your audience. Uh, talk to us a little bit about your writing and what you enjoy about that aspect. Well, it started in 2004. I was the broadcaster for the Idaho Falls Chuckers, a rookie league team. And so many people would ask me, what is a chucker? Where does that name come from? It's a (laughs) pheasant-like bird, by the way. And it made me curious about the most unique minor league team names. So I actually explored looking for a book that I could buy about the most unique team names of the past and the present and where they came from, maybe some photos, and nothing like it existed. So I researched it and... Uh, became a hobby of mine, and I wrote a book about the most unique minor league team names. It was published in 2012, and uh, eventually got to a point where on my laptop I, I thought I had something, but I had no idea how this Word document gets into a bookstore. So I bought How to Get Your Book Published for Dummies, and it was a perfect book because it was written to somebody like me who was outside of the publishing industry, teaches you how to create a proposal, how to contact publishers, Wow. Okay. Uh, and it was exciting. So the, the book, I still see it in stores. It's been around four years now. Um, and the, so that the title, was, what, was cool. What's the title of that yeah. book so our, our viewers can check it out? It's Root for the Home Team, correct? Yeah, Root for the Home Team, Minor League Baseball's Most Off-the-Wall Team Names. Right. And I remember when they told me the title, I didn't realize this, but the author does not really have input on what the title of a book is. Maybe the big guys do. Maybe John Grisham does. But <laughs> somebody like me, a minor league baseball broadcaster, didn't. Uh, and I, I remember thinking, well, I wish the team name included, or I wish the title included some team names in it. Mm-hmm. Today, I was doing an interview on a show like yours, a radio show in Lincoln, Nebraska, and the host says to me, you know, I just love this title, Root for the Home Team. It's like a play on words, like the origin of the team name. Ah. <laughs> and in my head, I said, oh, my God, I never realized that's why they picked that title. So <laughs> nice. I just rolled with it on the air. I said, yeah, I agree. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I guess that's why they're they're in the business they are, huh? <laughs> exactly, yeah. Cool. You know, you do a lot of stuff for sporting news as well, and, and I really love uh, seeing the historic pieces that you write. You know about you know the umpire that brought a gun to the game, and you know the <laughs> the, the player who won the batting title in the PCL uh, the month after he died. You know th- those kind of stories are what make baseball so interesting to me. You know the historic part of, of the game. Um, talk to us about a little bit of the of your favorite stories, uh, um, older stories like that. Thank you. That opportunity evolved from the book as well. Okay. Uh, the editors of the book said, why don't you include some fun minor league stories that occurred with these teams that you're featuring? Uh-huh. An editor with Sporting News found the book and, and found a Twitter account that I do about similar historical instances in minor league baseball and uh, asked me if they could buy some of the stories and run them on their website. So, nice. yeah, that's been exciting. Uh, off the top of my head, there was one in Texas where a Texas league game in the early 1900s was delayed 
because a wild bull ran on the field. <laughs> I mean, imagine you're sitting at a game and there's a bull loose in the outfield. <laughs> um, another one that seems to get some reaction is a lower-level game at Vicksburg, Mississippi in the early 1900s. Pounding rain has delayed the game, and the infield dirt is so soggy that the game cannot continue. So the umpire walks to center field, sets up the bases, and they finish the game playing in the opposite direction. (laughs) Oh, man. (laughs) And that's what's so exciting. You look at especially minor league baseball a century ago, the affiliation with Major League Baseball was a little bit more loose. Oftentimes the minor league teams were acquiring players. It was less of an organized farm system. And, of course, something happening in Vicksburg, Mississippi, it would take weeks to get its way to New York City for any commissioner's office or any national association to find out about it. So in some ways it was like the Wild West. Um, Umpires could just react however they wanted to. Nice. It definitely sounds like the Wild West of baseball, that's for sure. Must have must have been very interesting to go to a game in, in that era. I've always I've always dreamt about going back to the twenties or, or or even earlier and sitting in the stands and seeing a game and from that perspective it must just must be unreal to see. I agree. You yeah, know, everyone... it was before television. Yeah. And look at the attendance numbers in some of these small cities; they were spectacular. Yeah. I and mean, going to a local ball game was the thing to do. You couldn't exactly. watch your major league team on TV yet. And if you go back even to the earliest of the 1900s, you couldn't have a radio broadcast of Major League games yet. So if yeah. you were a baseball fan in Davenport, Iowa, that was your team. Yep, yep, yeah. And, you know, you see some of the, the pictures of the stands and stuff. You've seen everyone uh, dressed in suits and, and hats and stuff. It's just uh, it's just a, a, a unique look to it, you know. It is. I'll tell you this one, too, when you asked about some of my favorite stories. Mm-hmm. This was a town ball game in western Pennsylvania, and back then the teams would challenge the local railroad to an exhibition game. <laughs> Out in western Pennsylvania, the railroads would have their own ball team. So nice. there was this game in Pitcairn, Pennsylvania, and there was this left fielder named B.F. Hicks. And there's a high fly ball, foul territory, left field. Hicks keeps on running, keeps on running. The fans are shouting for him because there's an oncoming train. Oh, shit. And Hicks (laughs) catches the ball and gets hit by the train. Oh, my God. God. And check this out. When they found his dead body, he was holding the baseball. Wow. Best catch in baseball history. Yeah, see? I mean, that kind of stuff is just, it's mind-blowing, the the history of the game. (laughs) That is gnarly. (laughs) All right, so I wanted to let's get let's get back on uh, uh, <laughs> to current uh, current Padres, uh, current Chihuahuas. Um, Wait, we, you didn't want to talk about railroads yeah, all day? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we could. I think that's a that's a pretty enter- entertaining conversation for sure. Um, I wanted your uh, thoughts on who who you're looking forward to seeing play for the Chihuahuas uh, most this year. Like, what what new player maybe are you keeping an eye on? Well, what I love about AAA baseball is the wide spectrum of players you get on a roster. Look at last night opening night. 37-year-old Jeremy Guthrie is pitching, and 23-year-old Austin Hedges is catching. Mm-hmm. They're teammates. Uh, so on this year's Chihuahuas team, there's a couple of examples of that. I think Guthrie is one of them. Guthrie, very recently, was a major league starting pitcher on a very good team, the Royals. Uh, but 
It's tough to stick up there. There's only so many spots. So he's in AAA for the first time since 06, a decade, wow. trying to get back. Uh, as far as the younger players, they say Manuel Margot is a guy to watch. He's fast. I've seen him play just one game, but uh, yesterday whacked a double past the first baseman, just kept on running. His speed is obvious. Carlos Suaje looks like an exciting player. Came over from that same Boston Red Sox trade that got the Padres Margot. Mm-hmm. As far as returning players, Alex Dickerson was a force last year in the PCL. He was one of the best players in the entire league. He was the PCL Rookie of the Year. And I think that when you talk about Renfro and Margot and then even Jose Perella from the Yankees, that as well as the Major League outfielders like Jankowski, the younger players, I think Dickerson's name perhaps sometimes doesn't get brought up as much as it should. I think he could be an everyday Major League player and not too far away from being that. Yeah, I think he definitely, uh, I don't want to say get over, gets overlooked, but that's, that's kind of what it is with, with Margot now there and Renfro now there. He kind of plays, plays a, now he's third fiddle, I guess you could say, uh, to those guys. Um, of, of all those guys that you mentioned, do you, who do you see, I guess, getting to the to big leagues first and making an impact first, perhaps this season? I think that's a hard one because the Padres outfield in the major league seems so solidified with Jay and Upton, Kemp, Jankowski, Jabari Blash. So it's a good problem to have for the Padres right now. They have a lot of qualified outfielders, both in the major leagues and AAA. So it's hard to pick just one and and guess who it might be. You know, it might have to do with a player's skill set. If, for example, there was a transaction or an injury involving a right-hand hitter or a left-hand hitter, perhaps that would factor into play on which player was called up. Yeah, I think it's... um. It's a good problem to have, as you said. There's a lot of depth there, um, a lot of options, and God forbid anyone gets hurt. You have plenty of uh, replacements down there that are that are more than capable of, of handling it in in the short term. Definitely. You know, Tim, let's let's stick to this theme of uh, the current Chihuahua roster. You know, tell me a little bit about Austin Hedges. I know you had an opportunity to see him uh, the beginning of last season when he was really swinging the bat well. Um, tell us your thoughts on him and whether or not he's going to be able to progress into the next level. Definitely. I think anybody you speak to in the Padres organization confirms that Hedges is part of the long-term plan in San Diego. Mm-hmm. And I think that his biggest area of improvement was hitting. Uh, you speak to coaches and instructors, they knew the defense was there. He has a great arm. He compounds that with quickness and getting the ball into his throwing hand and throwing it wherever it's directed to very quickly. Uh, but when the Padres played the Chihuahuas on March 31st, Hedges hit one of the longest home runs we've ever seen in our ballpark, maybe even the longest one to left field. That was a ball. So he's, yeah, he's uh, using the strength that he has, not only defensively, but becoming a very powerful hitter. All right, Tim, uh, I understand uh, last season you had an opportunity uh, to meet A.J. Preller uh, up close and, and personal. Uh, tell me a little bit about your thoughts on him and uh, you know what he uh, brings to the table for the San Diego Padres. That was a great experience. We had the Chihuahuas Winter Banquet, a charity event. AJ flew in from San Diego, and we had an on-stage interview. It was exciting. Major League General Manager in front of 500 people. Uh, this is before the 2015 season. The other guests were Pat Murphy, the Chihuahuas manager, and Cody Decker, uh, baseball's filmmaker. <laughs> and uh, it was amazing to look at that lineup of guests and then to project Nine months later, after that event, you had a major league GM, a major league manager, 
and then Cody Decker, a big league player, all yeah. on stage for that event. Uh, AJ was excellent. He's obviously an extremely intelligent person. Speaking to him on stage, off stage, but also very likable. He was asking me a lot of questions about El Paso, about my background. Uh, one, one thing that's obvious, just watching him behave away from the cameras, 24-7, he's working to improve the Padres. Nice. Uh, cell phones going, texting, emailing, and this is in January, after the flurry of the winter meetings, mm-hmm. uh, after all those monstrous trades he made in the winter before the 2015 season. <laughs> That'd be so interesting. Find some national writer or some network, spend a day with A.J. Preller. <laughs> I mean, this guy grew up in New York and as an adult learned Spanish and is so fluent that when he was in El Paso, he did Spanish on-camera interviews. Wow. Oh. You know, it's one thing to grow up in a bilingual home where as you're developing and maturing, you're picking up Spanish, but imagine how hard that is for an adult in between work responsibilities to learn a whole new language. Mm-hmm. Uh, he deflected this. I asked him on stage because the, the word is he learned in a couple of months. That's all. Uh, and reached the point where he could be in players' homes in the Dominican Republic offering them contracts. Um, we asked him about his sleep patterns. I'm sure you guys have <laughs> read about that, how players uh, is renowned for getting just a couple of hours sleep. And he laughed it off, but there were Padres executives there that said, to be honest, there are times that I'll get an email from AJ at 2 in the morning and then also get one at 5 in the morning. Wow. Sleep. <laughs> nice. Yeah, he, he definitely works hard, and, and we definitely appreciate the, the efforts that he uh, that he's put in for, for us, for sure. You know, He's taken a lot of, um, a lot of scrutiny. Um, the past year or so, just from uh, the trades and, and all that, you know, the 2015 season didn't exactly, you know, happen the way we wanted. But you know, and I we, think that's I think that's a little bit unfair to AJ because a lot of times those same people that are criticizing him are the same ones that were celebrating what he did in the winter before the 2015 season. Exactly, exactly. You know, a, a lot of people had uh, they had a lot of confidence that this was that the 2015 team was going to go far, and and it, and it didn't. But you know. Most Padre fans appreciate the fact that the team attempted to build a winning team and made the put the extra effort for the fans. You know that that's something that that, that hasn't happened in, in a long time here in San Diego, and, and the true fans really appreciate the effort that the, that the front office is going through at this point. I agree. Um, you know, talk to us a little. You know, wh- tell us about about your background. What uh, what uh, Major League Baseball team did you root for? Uh, you know, what area did you grow up in, Tim? I grew up in Canton, Massachusetts. Okay, uh, it's a suburb of Boston. It was a great so, place to live. A couple so you're a Red Sox fan? Away from the city. Uh, I always grew up fascinated, captivated by baseball. Okay, I was never a kid that got angry when the Red Sox lost. Uh, <laughs> I'm so delicate with that now because Bostonians and New Englanders have sort of a reputation. They can be a little bit intense as sports fans, and uh, perhaps. I don't know, rude to other city sports fans. And since I've been doing this, I really don't feel wins and losses when watching major league games. I'm just more interested about hearing the announcers, learning insight from the game, things I can use on my broadcasts. But I'll say this, uh, the the aspect of Boston that still deeply uh, means a lot to me is Fenway Park. I have so many memories going there as a kid. What a, 
uh, great opportunity that was to get to go to a handful of Red Sox games a year as a kid. Baseball's, in my opinion, best and most historic ballpark. So while I don't, you know, talk about wicked foul homers on the uh, El Paso Chihuahuas games, I don't <laughs> speak the way my family does anymore. I couldn't. I had to go to broadcasting and speech courses to get rid of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I still, Fenway Park means a lot to me. And um, But, you know, it's funny. I, I've never worked for a minor league that had a Red Sox affiliate. I've never seen a game involving a Boston Red Sox farm club. So I know through my work in the Pacific Coast League ten times more about the San Francisco Giants <laughs> than I do the Red Sox, which would have sounded crazy to me when I was a 12-year-old kid, but professionally that's just what you do. Uh, when you're broadcasting a AAA game tonight, the Chihuahuas play the Reno Aces, the Diamondbacks AAA affiliate, and I have to know why Dominic Leone is here and not in the major leagues. You have to read about their major league affiliate. You have to know uh, why is Jason Bourgeois here. He's a guy who spent some time in the major leagues the past handful of years who are Arizona's outfielders. That comes up in a broadcast. And when you don't play the Red Sox AAA team, I know less about Mookie Betts and Xander Bogarts. Mm-hmm. Nice. So kind of going off of that, um, what would you say your favorite uh, baseball memory is, either as a fan or when you were working, either one? Favorite baseball memory? Well, my first one was the last day of school in first grade. My parents picked me up and said, we're going to Fenway Park. It was a Red Sox-Rangers game. And just walking up, seeing the glow of a major league ballpark, I can still picture what that looks like. But probably, boy, it's hard to pick one. Um, Back in 2004, broadcasting my first professional baseball minor league game, uh, I was Idaho Falls at Ogden. I remember sitting there just thinking, this is unbelievable, I'm getting paid to do this. In a random place like Ogden, Utah, who would ever think I'd ever be here? That was kind of a surreal moment. Uh, and then later that year, broadcast my first major league game. The Royals invited me out, something they did occasionally in September when they needed somebody to call a few innings. They would go to their minor league affiliates, and they enjoyed it. They'd have you talk about the team and then call a few innings of play-by-play. Wow. Uh, first major league game, it was a Royals versus what was then called the Devil Rays game in uh a September call-up of sorts for a broadcaster. So that was exciting, have a chance to be heard on a major league team's radio network, the dozens of stations that aired that game, XM Radio, the Internet. A lot of people hear major league games, so mm-hmm. that was cool as well. That's definitely quite an experience. <laughs> yeah, that, that's cool. You know, Tim, have you? did you ever have an opportunity to meet uh, Jerry Coleman uh, during your time? Yeah, I did. Okay, well, uh, when I was in Tucson, 2011 through 2013, it was so easy to get over to Peoria. It was only an hour and a half away, so I was able to go to Padre Spring Training more often than I do now. I was able to just drive over. Okay. And it was a Padres versus Cubs game, and I saw Jerry Coleman in the cafeteria over in Mesa. Padres were playing a road spring training game against the Cubs in Mesa. Nice. And I introduced myself, and uh, he said, great to meet you, and asked me a few questions about Tucson, and then we both went our separate ways in the food line. So I went and I sat down. And a few minutes later, Jerry Coleman sits next to me. Uh, he initiated it. I remember Uh-oh. thinking my plan was just a brief hello, tell him I enjoy listening to him. Uh, and then he saw me sitting by myself and sat down. And, and that was a great thrill. 
This was in March of 2011. And of course, he passed away, uh, I believe, uh, what was it, the winter before the 2014 season, yes. I think. Yes. Um, but it was great. He, my, I have a brother who's active duty in the military. And, of course, with Jerry's background, he was asking me all about that. Just a, a really kind person. No ego at all, despite his standing in San Diego as a legend. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's in the broadcaster's wing of the Hall of Fame. But you, you never know. It's like he was asking me more questions than vice versa. Uh, <laughs> so that was an honor to meet him. Yeah, he's yeah, he's he's, uh, he's uh, truly an icon, and, and we really do miss him. Um, yeah, you know, I do too, because although I've never lived in San Diego, uh, when I'm getting ready for a game in the hotel or in the broadcast booth, it's so easy to find Major League games on the Internet these days. I have the MLB app, and that's what I do. I listen to Padres games. So when I was in Mobile and I was in Portland, Tucson, and now El Paso, I'd probably listen to 60 or more Padres games a year. So I uh, felt like I got to know Jerry and Ted very well. Nice. Um, nice. So, yeah, I, I definitely felt that loss as well. Very nice man. Yeah, he, he always – I had an opportunity yeah, to meet him a couple times, and he was just very, very, very nice man. <clears throat> okay, uh, last, uh, last question for you. Uh, was there any fellow broadcasters that have given you uh, special advice or anything that you've taken to heart? Definitely. Um, a long list there. Especially when you're younger, that's an important part, I think, in becoming a better play-by-play guy is reaching out for feedback and receiving it well. Don't take it personally when somebody says, you're not good at this, you could work on this. Uh, So especially in my first couple of years, whenever I got to know somebody, and even recent years uh, at a Major League Spring training game, when you chat with a Major League announcer and, and they offer their assistance, you can send them a link and they give feedback. So... As far as uh, what feedback stands out, um, there's a lot of things. I think in general, the biggest thing is to picture the listener. Sometimes you're at the ballpark and you're swept up in the noise and the crowd and the enthusiasm. But remember, you're not there. I try to picture myself speaking to somebody through a speaker, whether that speaker is on the back of their iPhone or on their radio in their car or on their computer. You have to picture that speaker. So if the shortstop makes a diving play, you can't say, swinging a ground ball, oh, what a play. That doesn't cut it. The yeah. person doesn't see what you see. So you have to say, swinging a ground ball, left side, weeks in the hole, dives, has it. You know, have that same enthusiasm, but make sure you're describing it. And I think another thing is to be willing to let the game breathe. When I first started, You are so scared of silence. It's like when you're a teenager and you're calling a girl. You're just terrified that there's going to be a pause because it's so uncomfortable. But when you're listening to a game, it's not like that. Uh, So one of the things I learned was that when you finish a thought, just be quiet for five seconds. Let that settle in and then move on. Um, Otherwise, it's hard for the listener to keep up if you talk too much. Hmm. Very interesting technique. Very interesting point. All right. Uh, well, Tim, thank you so much for for joining us. We're we're so excited to talk to you. I, I could go on forever talking about the history of the game with you. Yeah, James and Patrick. Nice to meet you guys. Thanks for thinking of me. And uh, call back anytime. 
For sure, Tim. Uh, that was uh, Tim's here. Uh, he is the broadcaster for the El Paso Chihuahuas and also a contributor for Sporting News. Um, make sure you, you check out his book, uh, Root for the Home Team. Um, Tim, anything else you'd like to say uh, before you leave us? Anything else I'd like to say? Uh, Just to the fans. Uh, Padre, I know Padre fans are hurting right now. Don't worry. It's only three games. Yeah. If this was three games in July... You would worry less. These games count <laughs> just as much and just as little as those. <laughs> that is true. Thank you so much, Thank Tim. So have much, have Tim. a great day. You too. All right. Thanks again uh, for Tim for joining us. Uh, I know he's a busy guy. He got game two of the series coming up uh, today in uh, Reno. Um, it's great being able to get a perspective from a minor league uh, broadcaster like him. Uh, don't you think, Patrick? Yeah, it's definitely good to have a different perspective. I mean, We've only really heard from people uh, more at the major league level about about the major league team, so it's good to hear that uh, opinion and thoughts on the uh, minor league level from someone who's actually uh, there on a daily basis. Yeah, definitely. You know, he, he's uh, he's got a very good voice, and he's he's uh, he's done a lot in his short uh, period of time. It's amazing that he's been uh, at it for thirteen years. If if you uh, if you look at Tim, you'd think he's in his mid twenties, but uh, he's been at it for a while, and uh, I think he has a bright future in the game for sure. Yeah, I definitely agree with you on that. Okay, uh, you know it's been a rough uh, first three games for the Padres, uh, being outscored twenty-five to nothing uh, against the rival Dodgers. Um, uh, Twitter's uh, <laughs> and social media is just uh, is just full of uh, the typical negative uh, things about the Padres. Uh, you know, it's it's early fans. Um, there's a hundred and fifty-nine games to go. You know, it's just you just gotta be patient. Uh, you know, in reality, this team isn't a World Series contender, so I, I don't know understand what all this uh, backlash is is about. Patrick, I, can you explain it to me? Yeah, as I wrote in my uh, piece uh, the other day, yesterday, um, I don't know what we expected. Like, I guess we didn't expect this bad, but I mean, at the end of the day, this isn't really a playoff team. So, the the fact that they strung together three shutouts isn't really a big deal to me it's more just it sucks that it happened when it did but I think it was something that it happens teams go through these kind of slumps and I think it's more magnified because it's the first three games rather than three games in September when no one cares anyway it's just it's just more of timing than anything but this this team isn't like destined for the playoffs and it's oh doom and gloom I mean this is kind of what we expected at least on my end yeah I mean I agree with you I think that you know I still think this team can finish around 500. That's what I honestly believe. Um, but I, I, don't, I just don't think they're a playoff contention team. With the roster that they have now, you know, maybe they get hot in, in April, May, June, and AJ Preller decides to make some positive moves towards improving the team. You know, that that could happen. But at this point, the, the roster as it is now is it, just a 500 team at best, in, in my opinion. And you know, it, the streak, the the three losses happen in an inopportune moment, but. You know, it's just being over magnified because it's the Dodgers and it's the first three games of the season and it was at home. But you know, Andy Green should be able to get control of, the, of this team. And uh, you know, I'd look for them, the offense, to to really break out this this weekend in Colorado. Hey, I mean, James Loney is now in the organization, so I think yeah. we're set. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> Watch out, Cubs! We're on our way to the top. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay, yeah, folks. I think they're gonna score probably. I'm. I, I wouldn't be surprised if they score like ten runs today or tomorrow or something. Just kind of let it all out. <laughs> yeah, you know, baseball is a, is a game of averages, and you know, these those three shutouts will be 
they will have they will have some some major runs uh, this weekend. I, w- I would imagine to they, make it. They will always they always regress to the mean. That that always happens. So exactly, exactly. All right, folks. Well, thank you so much uh, for joining us uh, on our podcast. Uh, Tim Haggerty was our guest. Um, very exciting to talk to him. Um, you know, it's it's a tough tough time of the year for the Padres, but it's early again. I'll, I'll just have to reiterate that. Um, you know, just keep the faith. Uh, the old uh, 1998 slogan: Keep the faith. And uh, remember that this team is does have a very bright future. The picks are coming. The international money's coming. The the lower level of our farm system is very very deep so you know it, it might take a year or two but this team should be built for the long run yeah i think uh focusing on the future is is best right now i mean as much as it sucks to see the team not playing too well at the big league level there is there's a bright future there yeah for sure for sure okay patrick want to just send us out and uh we're good to go yeah uh we are uh obviously on Podbean as always uh, you can give us a like there uh, follow, maybe give us a review. Um, we're on Twitter. I'm uh, Patrick Brewer 93. Uh, James, our East Village Times has now changed our Twitter handle to EVT underscore news. So uh, give us a follow on there. I um, think that's it. Yep, we're good to go. Uh, enjoy the weekend, uh, Padre fans, and enjoy some Padre wins. I, I can I can almost guarantee that. I don't want to guarantee it, but I can almost guarantee it. At least one. <laughs> yeah, at least one to just uh, just get us get us a little uh, little bit uh, of happy in our, happiness in our life. <laughs> All right, East Village Times podcast uh, signing out. Mm-hmm.